We're, uh, we're starting a new series this morning across all the campuses, uh, looking at the book of Romans. So some heavy duty stuff there. So uh, I'm going to cover the whole book of Romans and every theological insight in 20 minutes. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> no, we're, going to, we're actually doing it over a six-week series, um, looking at uh, just groups of verses and, and themes that are uh, revealed to us in the book of Romans, which is a phenomenal book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to have a, uh, have a read of it in preparation over the next uh, few weeks. We're looking at chapter 8 specifically. Uh, obviously, it's a massive book and I uh, can't really go through every verse. Uh, it would take us... Well, there was a guy, there was a guy, his name was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Anyone heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones? A few people, he's an older guy. But uh, he, he did the Book of Romans every Friday night in his church in England. It took him 17 years. <laughs> so you can buy his books, it's about 12 volumes or something. Uh, no, six volumes, but if you're really interested, then you can get in there. But if you want the, uh, uh, if you want the, the short version, cliff notes, if you like, um, then that's what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks. Romans chapter 8 we're going to look at. Uh, it's considered by many... Sorry, I'm just going to put this down here. So, uh, Joe just whispered to me uh, before <laughs> when he got up to pray. I don't know if anyone heard. I didn't hear, but he goes, oh, sorry for stuffing up the prayer. I said, what did you say? He said, I, I, I said... Jesus, you're not the answer. <laughs> Did anybody else hear him say that? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> just, um, yeah, <laughs> he's off the prayer. <laughs> Back to Bible college. <laughs> oh, we love you, Joe. <laughs> you're awesome, mate. Uh, even if Jesus isn't the answer. <laughs> he is the answer. Romans chapter 8. Uh, so uh, Romans chapter 8, just as a little bit of a background being the first week, it's considered by many people to be the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Uh, many consider it to be really the, the pinnacle or, or a summation of all 66 books of the Bible, the high watermark in regards to an understanding of what God has done and what, who Jesus is and how to live the Christian life in a powerful, real, relevant way. Uh, it, it begins, we're going to look at this today, it starts with there being no condemnation in Christ, it ends with there being no separation from Christ, and in the middle it says all things work together for good. How's that for a summary of the, of the gospel? No condemnation, no separation, and all things work together for good for those who love Jesus Christ. Um, so the next six weeks, we're going to be sort of unpackaging it a little bit. So the letter was written by the Apostle Paul, if, if you didn't know that. Uh, and it wasn't written to um, counter a, a heresy that had emerged in the church, like the book of Galatians was written. It was all the, all the books, the letters of the New Testament, they're, they're actually letters that were written for specific reasons, and then God uses that to speak into our world and our context. But they were written for specific reasons and for specific purposes 
And so it was, the book of Romans wasn't written to, uh, to counter heresy and it wasn't written to uh, address issues that were occurring in the church, like the, say the book of uh, uh, Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and even the book of Colossians were written because of stuff that were going on in the churches. Paul wrote this letter, no, nothing bad was happening in, the, in Rome and, and good things were happening, but lots of people were coming to Christ and Paul hadn't been there and he wrote this letter because obviously they weren't getting his podcasts or his vlogs at the time. Uh, so he wrote a letter and he said, I just want to explain to the believers there really what it means to be a Christian and, and give a bit of understanding in regards to the foundation and then how to live that out. Until His desire, he says, was to get there at some point, but he couldn't get there at that time. And he was writing this letter to say, I want to give you something to hold on to that's going to help you grow. And we can apply this to our own world as we begin to understand because just as it was written to a church in that day and, and we're in a church in this day, we can apply it to our own world, our own circumstances, because although times change and technology changes, uh, the human heart and the relationship between man and God doesn't change. And so we can look at this, understand this, and apply it to our own world and live a successful Christian life. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, Therefore... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. <coughs> Excuse me. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering so that He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, uh, newsflash. In the words of Ron Burgundy of Anchorman, I have a very important announcement to make, <laughs> which is... You are not going to live a perfect Christian life. Newsflash. And if anybody thinks or has been told that once you come to Christ, you're going to live a Christian perfect life, they have lied to you. You are going to make mistakes. You are going to stuff up at times. You are going to fail at things sometimes. Even though you're a Christian. Heaven forbid. And most like and like most of us, you will probably beat yourself up over your failures, regrets, and disappointments. Playing them over in your mind, thinking about what could have been, should have been, might have been. And we all do that, don't we? Uh, and sometimes we feel guilty because we think, well, I'm a believer, that sh I shouldn't be making mistakes, these things shouldn't be happening. But the important thing that that first verse reveals to us that no matter what happens in our world, God never condemns you. Never, ever does He condemn you for mistakes, stuff-ups, things that we do wrong. <clears throat> and then Paul begins to unpackage that and we begin to understand through the book of Romans why that is. But it's important that we understand that because, you know, Guilt, regret, um, condemnation, these kind of emotions are really three of the big issues that we face as humans. 
we live with, you know, we make mistakes and some, some of them have a big impact upon us, some, some things not so much, but uh, many people are dealing constantly with this sense of condemnation, of guilt, of regret. I was reading on the um, Beyond Blue website, <clears throat> not that I go there regularly, <coughs> cheer myself up, it's a, it's a website, <laughs> it's a depression um, help um, group. <laughs> this is their website. But I was reading a couple of, um, a couple of um, posts that some people had sent through to them and I thought, wow, isn't it, am- isn't it amazing that um, it's not the majority but uh, quite a number of people that call or write or email to Beyond Blue are dealing with um, guilt, self-condemnation and regret. And uh, I'll just read a couple of the posts that were on there. <clears throat> One guy wrote, uh, the past five years of my life has been crazy whirlwind of ups and major downs. It's rare that I go a week without feeling deep sadness and guilt about the things I have done. Apart from the shame and embarrassment of the actions themselves, I'm also dealing with the guilt of the impact of these and what they've ha- done to others. People that I've loved, people that order, I ought to have respected and who didn't deserve to be dragged into my mess. If I had one opportunity to collectively apologize to these people or for what it may, uh, for what it make, uh, every if it would make everything better, um, perhaps I could move on. But I've learned that saying sorry sometimes isn't enough. Sometimes you need to realize that your impact is toxic and requires elimination. I'm constantly battling with, the, with these thoughts. Um, uh, I've cried a lot. Uh, I try and ignore the thoughts, but the regret is real, and I'm not sure if it will ever leave me. I want to start again. Uh, it's too much some days, and it's scary. That was one letter. And then another letter that was written, and there was plenty there, but I have regret on my treatment and fellow Air Force. Uh, I've re- I have regret on the treatment of a fellow Air Force comrade when I was 18. After I left the Air Force, I drove 400 kilometers one way to find him and apologize to him, which he did not accept. That was 42 years ago, and it still troubles me every day. Isn't that amazing? When I read some of the advice that came back from Beyond Blue, and look, I, I believe in psychologists and, and psychiatrists and, and helping deal with people's emotions and, and pain, um, but one of, the, one of the things that was written back was, um, you need to go and see a doctor and follow through on every recommendation and prescription that they give you. And I just thought, that's not the first place to go to medicate the pain. Um, But without Jesus Christ, where else do you go? Because some of the things that happen, and and this is the whole story of of Romans, is that that sometimes uh, stuff happens and it's not that you can fix it. And it's not that you can always do enough to make it better because it's about forgiveness. It's not just about, well, I'll do this thing and I can do this, this and this and it'll, it'll make it better. And it's the same with our issue and our relationship with God. There's three, basically, approaches. Um, three ways of facing and dealing with this human condition. Number one is you can pretend it's not real. And there's plenty of books out there that say, you know, it's, they're just figments of your imagination and you should ignore them and just go on and it's 
stuff happens and you move on. And many people try to do that as these letters reveal and not possible sometimes because things going on in our world that is beyond just the natural. So we can pretend it's not real. The second one, which is the most popular one, is that we just try and work to earn the forgiveness or the acceptance or the righteousness or the sense of freedom or the love that we're after. We just think if we do enough stuff, we can counterbalance the wrong with, with some right and that will make it better. And oftentimes in, you know, as religion approaches God, we think that you know, hopefully when we get to God, that God will be judging on a bell curve or something like that. We might not, we might not get a high distinction, but surely we're going to be in the, in the big bubble. And there's plenty of people that are far lot worse than me and doing lots of stuff and they're going to be down the bottom. But surely I'm in the bubble somewhere. I'm not the worst. I might not be the best, but hopefully God's going to judge on a, on a bell curve. And that's the way we approach our relationship or the way we approach God or the way we approach life. Where we, if we do enough good things, it'll work itself out. We can balance the equation. And the Bible says that that's not the way it actually works because of a faulty foundation or a faulty belief. And if we read the Bible, we understand that it's not, God's not so much concerned or it's not so much a, an issue of effort, how much effort we've put in. It's actually an issue of relationship and law, spiritual law that has been breached. And so it's not about, well, if I do all these things, it's going to outweigh all, all those bad things that I, that I did. What Paul says throughout the book of Romans is that you've got to look at it uh, from a relational place. Um, so if you go back to the Old Testament, um, book of Genesis and you know, man separated from God, turned away. Then in that restoration process, get down to the book of Exodus and, and uh, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Anyone remember that story? Ten Commandments, the law of God to know what's right and wrong. And therefore, because the law was given to the Israel's, Israelites back then in a physical form, they actually began to believe that, that they could fulfill it in a physical way. So therefore, if I do all these things, then I will be righteous before God. If I don't do all those things, then somehow it's not going to work out. And because of that mindset and that belief, Jesus had to come and say, look, you, you're actually, you've actually got it all wrong. Um, you don't understand that it's not a carnal law. It's a spiritual law. And Jesus comes and he goes, you know what? saying to the Pharisees who are trying to live the law and do as many good things as they can, he was saying, it, look, the reality is it, it doesn't matter how many good actions that you do because it's, because it's a spiritual law, it actually uh, encompasses also every thought that you have. So it's not just what you do, it's what you think is what Jesus said. So even if you look at somebody lustfully, you've committed adultery. Even if you in your mind or in your heart, covet what someone else has gone. You've already broken the law. It's not about what you do. It's about what's going on in your heart. It's not about actions and effort. It's about a relationship. And they didn't get it. And Jesus came and said, this is what you've got to understand. You can't do enough good things to get the wage right. And then he uses an analogy like a, he uses marriage and adultery as an example. 
in the Bible. And he says, look at it this way. If you're committing adultery with your partner and they know about it, it doesn't matter how many, it doesn't matter how tidy the house is. It doesn't matter how good the grass looks. It doesn't matter how much work you do to appease the situation. The cars can be shiny, you can work, but it's not about that. Something else is going on. It's a relational situation, not a works situation. You can't do enough good things. You've got to get forgiveness. You can't earn it. It's relational. It's not effort. And so Jesus says, this is what's happened with you and God. You can't do enough good things because the relationship that we have, which he uses, the context, the analogy he uses is like a marriage. And he says that you have given your heart to something else and committed adultery. Therefore, you can't do enough good things to get. It's about forgiveness. It's about reconciliation. Not what you can do, but about coming back and asking for forgiveness. Um, that's, an, that's a powerful analogy um, that he uses. And so what he's saying is that, and also with this context, he's saying marriage is not just a piece of paper that you sign. It's not just a contractual obligation. It's a covenant. It's a spiritual covenant that happens before God, whether you know it or whether you don't. Marriage, and this is why the marriage thing is such a big issue, what people that aren't Christian, they don't understand that it's not about legalities. It's not about a piece of paper. It's about a covenant that takes place, and the breaking of that covenant is severely serious. And you can't just earn your way or work your way back. There's got to be forgiveness in that place. So something far greater than just effort has been violated. A spiritual union has been broken. And that's the analogy that God uses with us and Him. So you can't earn your way back. There's been a violation of the relationship. And for that to be healed, there has to be some things that take place. And what the Bible says is, that um, I was trying to think of an analogy how we can make it clear. So if there was some kind of marriage, um, although it's not a complete analogy, so it's got to give a little bit of leniency. But So there's been eternal pain and separation because what happened was when we were created, there was, a, there was an unavoidable prenup that we signed, Right? And the prenup said that if you are unfaithful, whether in action or in thought, then you will be breaking the covenant, the relationship. And that the punishment or the the legal um, result of that is eternal separation from God, eternal damnation and complete uh, death and eternal judgment that's the prenup and that there is an accuser who is there to make sure that if the prenup's broken that the punishment is fulfilled that's the devil but God and his and, and so we broke that 
relationship with God by turning from God, giving our heart to others, all these things that we broke, whether they were physical or in our heart. But because, because God loved you so much and because he loved me so much, even though there was a legal requirement that somebody, that the person must die, that blood must be shed. That's what the prenup said. That's what the legal requirement was. If, if there's a breaking down of this relationship, someone's got to die. And therefore, God goes, I love, I love you so much and I want restoration, even though you've turned away from me. Therefore, I'm going to fulfill the legal requirement. The, the legal requirement is that blood must be shed and someone must die. And because I don't want you to have to go through it, I'm going to do it myself. That's why he sent Jesus. To pay the price, the punishment, the eternal law, if you like, that was a requirement. And the Bible says that the devil is called the accuser. And what he does is he accuses us of breaking the spiritual law. But Jesus came and he said, I'm going to pay that punishment. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to give my life so that there can be reconciliation, so that there can be restoration because God loves you and I so much. That's what John 3.16 says. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who would ever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's no longer about works. It's no matter about, well, you know, you can't say enough Hail Marys to get right with God. You can't give enough money. You can't feed enough hungry people. You can't work enough to bring the restoration. What's required is forgiveness. And therefore the Bible says all you need to do is come and say you're sorry. I've paid the legal requirement. I've taken the punishment. All you need to do then is come back and restore the relationship. And we do that not by working for it, but by asking for it. We say, God, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Forgive me. I want to get it right. That's why. See, Paul, he's writing this. Paul had a lot of regrets. If you know his story, he went around killing Christians before he got saved. So you imagine coming into church. You've had people killed that are in the church and then you come into the church and their families are sitting in the church. The families of people that you had killed. You might have a couple of regrets. <laughs> and yet Paul here is saying, although I'm sure he struggled with it, I'm not going to take on condemnation because Jesus Christ has paid the punishment for the sins that I committed in killing those people. That's why he shed his blood. So no matter what you have done, either previous to or since becoming a believer, because what happens is oftentimes we think, okay, all my previous sins have been forgiven and given my life to Jesus, but then from now on, I've got to earn it. I've got to work for it. I've got to make sure that, you know, I, I do all this stuff. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to be a good person. And then, and I went through this when I was a, a young Christian. I had, well, before I was a young Christian, actually in my early days, pre, uh, in my sort of 
uh, primary school days, I had quite a sensitive conscience. I, I had, uh, I used to, even though I wasn't, I'd gone to Sunday school, even though I didn't actually give my life to Christ, I was 17, I used to have scriptures up on my wall that I used to recite and I had a, quite, a, quite a sensitive consciousness to God and, and even as I got older in my teenage years, even though I hadn't really given my life to Christ, I used to feel guilty because I'd make promises and not fulfill them. Anyone ever done that? Make a promise to God? I'll never do that again. And then you do it. I will get up at 6 a.m. Mel, every morning and pray. Next morning, 8.30. And condemnation. Oh, I failed again. I failed again. And the accuser comes and says, you're a loser. You're a failure. God doesn't love you. And then we get this complex that stuff that happens in our world. We go, oh, God, we, we correlate. We say, God's punishing me. So oh, this bad thing happened. Oh, I know why that happened. God's punishing me because I didn't do this thing. I didn't pray when I was supposed to. I didn't read those chapters of the Bible. I, I, didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And therefore, God is punishing me. And it's a lie because Romans 8 tells us there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The punishment for every sin and every wrongdoing that we can commit was already placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And all the condemnation and all the um, punishment and everything that God is going to give has been taken in Jesus Christ on the cross and He is never going to punish you again because you're in Christ Jesus. That's the truth of the Gospel. Never ever is He going to condemn you because of a mistake or a sin that you've done. Now does that mean it's all good and we can just go around? I've heard one person say, well, me and God have a good relationship uh, I like to sin and he loves to forgive. <laughs> so therefore I can go around just doing whatever I want because God's going to forgive me. And, you know, the Apostle Paul was accused of that in his day. There's a term for it. It's just a site, but it's called antinomianism, which means you just live the life you want to live and God's going to forgive you. That's not what he's saying because it's not about the works. This is where we've got to get it. We've got to change our paradigm. It's not about the works. It's about the heart. And Jesus says, I'm coming and I'm looking at the heart. And if your heart is to do, and he knows whether it is or isn't. Your heart is to please God. Your heart is to do the right thing. Your heart is to obey. Your heart is to follow. Your heart is to build the kingdom. Then, yes, you're going to make mistakes, but the heart is in the right place. And therefore, God will forgive and empower and change and challenge and inspire and convict and do all these things so that your heart is fulfilled in your actions. That's the way it works. That's what He does. And therefore, you know, there's so many Christians feeling guilty feeling ashamed. And look, sometimes when we're doing stuff or we're sin, shame is a real thing and we need to repent and we need to give that over to God. But then the sense of self-condemnation, therefore now God's going to punish me and I need to do penance and I need to pay for that now, is a lie. Jesus Christ has paid the punishment. So... What time is it? Oh, I'm going to finish up soon. So in the words of Ron Burgundy, I have a very important announcement to make. 
you are going to make mistakes. You are going to fail. You are going to promise to do some things and not fulfill them. You're going to promise not to do some things. And even though you, your heart is in the right place and every desire within you is to fulfill that commitment, at times you are not going to fulfill them. And the Apostle Paul, if you go back one chapter from chapter 8, he talks in chapter 7, that's exactly what he talks about. The things that I want to do, if you've read that chapter, he says, the things that I actually want to do, I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do, there's something going on within me that is driving me to do the things that I don't want to do. What is going on? What he's describing is the human condition, the the sinful heart that is away from God. And then when you're a Christian, the part, your spirit that is alive, that desires to follow God desires to do and obey His calling and His purpose. And in between those two things, there is a war going on. And at times, the Spirit is going to win. But at times, just your carnal nature, our own emotions and certain things are are going to, we're going to give in to them. It's going to happen. But the good news is, when it happens, not to feel condemned. Yes, to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, but to come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. And in the, in the name of Jesus, who took the punishment for all of my wrongdoing, everything that I've done wrong, past, future, and present, I thank you for your forgiveness. And I don't stand before you Righteous because of what I'm doing, but because of what He did. What He did. That's why we can stand before God. That's why He wants to bless us. That's why favour comes onto our life. Not because we're doing all these things, and if we're not doing them, then He's going to punish us. But because Jesus Christ came, took that punishment, rose from the dead and said, if anyone believes in me, my righteousness, he lived a perfect righteous life. My righteousness will be imputed into that person. His life for our life, our messed up, mistake riddled life and world for His perfect life of submission, obedience, and consecration. That's the scandal of grace. That's the scandal. What do you mean? It doesn't matter what you've done. And you can think of people who've done horrendous things. And you think, you mean thank could be forgiven as well. That's a scandal. Because again, we think we're judging on the curve. That person's so bad. There's no way they should be forgiven. But I should be. Because I'm not that bad. That's why John Newton, who wrote that the, uh, the song Amazing Grace, probably heard of it. It's pretty famous. (laughs) He said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch 
like me. He was a slave trader. A slave trader. There's one story that we don't know if it's true or whether it's just apocryphal, but there's a story of there being a screaming baby on his ship, which he grabbed and slammed against the side of the boat to shut it up. A Negro baby, because he was a slave trader. And it was upsetting all the other, it was causing disruptions on the ship. Whether it's apocryphal or not, he lived a debauched, wicked life. And he gave his life to Jesus. And he received grace. Grace. It's got nothing to do with the level of sin, corruption, debauchery or anything like that. The Bible says in Romans 6 verse 10, he, he, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God and we live through him. That's the gospel. Self-condemnation. If I could say anything to the people that wrote these letters to Beyond Blue, and look, it's important to get speak to psychologists and psychiatrists, and sometimes there's a place for medication and all those things, but guilt, condemnation, shame, regret, the power of them are broken through Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on the cross where we can get forgiveness from the Creator of the universe. Forgiveness. Where He says, I forgive you. Why don't we stand here this morning?